Welcome to the Liberty Podcast. We're so excited that you're interested in the teaching ministry of Liberty Bible Church. We're a multi-site church that exists to share the love of Christ across Northwest Indiana. If you're looking for a church home, please check us out at our website, findliberty.net. Thanks again for joining us as together we're transformed by the teaching from the Word of God. Well, hello, Liberty Bible Church. Tim Spanberg here, new lead pastor. So glad to be together. Whether you're watching this in Valpo, Laporte, Sacred Ground, Worship Center, uh, I'm glad that you are are watching this. Uh, but you might be wondering, uh, why why is our pastor like in a hostage video? What's happened to him? Um, let me explain. Uh, this this week I tested positive for COVID-19, and, and just felt like rather than uh, coming to be with you on person uh, in person to share both the love of Jesus and COVID-19 with you, I thought I'll share the love of Jesus via video and I'll keep COVID-19 to myself. Uh, so that is the plan um, for our time. Uh, but but why I wanted to speak to you, or my, my hope for our time here in this this first sermon, which let's be honest, like if I could draw up the worst possible first sermon in a new church, this might be this might like preaching from my guest room uh, might have been it. But anyway, uh, my hope for our time, nonetheless, is uh, just to share the one thing I want us to be about as a church in the year ahead. The one thing. Uh, and so I'm going to speak for about 20 minutes, and then I'm going to pass it off to the campus pastors where there's going to be a little port twist on, on what the year ahead might look like, a little Valpo twist on what the year ahead might look like. But I want to begin this new year just with, with where my heart is as I think about what I want us as a church to be about in our first year together. So with that, uh, I'm going to do uh, what I'm going to do in most cases. I'm going to read the Bible, and then I'm going to pray, uh, and then I'm going to speak a few words from Mark chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. So if you've got a Bible, you should turn there. That's where we're going to be, Mark chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. So hear now the word of the Lord. Again, Jesus entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hands. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And Jesus said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. Jesus looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy Jesus. Let us pray. Father, this, this prayer is a prayer that you would center our hearts now to hear from your word. You would speak into our lives whatever it is that you want us to hear. And Father, you exist outside of time, so as strange as this prayer is to a recorded video, God, you you hear it now amongst us. Lead us by your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There is one thing about this story 
I find difficult to believe. Now, to be clear, I believe all of the Bible. Uh, it's inerrant. It's the final authority in all faith and practice. I believe that very, very strongly. But it doesn't mean I don't have questions. And I have a question about this text. Jesus enters into a synagogue, and as he enters into a synagogue, there's a man there with a withered hand, broken physically. And Jesus does for that man what he does for anyone he encounters throughout the Gospels who has some sort of physical vulnerability or physical weakness to their body. Jesus always calls them closer, or he always goes closer to them. So he calls the the man with the withered hand over and everyone is gathered around waiting to see if Jesus is going to heal the man. And we read in the story, Jesus heals the man and instantly his hand goes back to normal. And maybe for you, that's the difficult part of the story to believe because you've never seen anything like that. Someone who is is physically broken and, and they're healed instantly. And that's hard for you to believe. That, that, listen, that's, that's okay, but that's not what I struggle with in this text. I struggle with something else. See, when Jesus called the man closer to himself, there were a group of, of Pharisees, of Bible teachers, basically the pastors of the day, who were waiting to see whether or not Jesus was going to heal this man. Because if Jesus healed this man on the Sabbath, they were going to be angry. Now, this is the part of the story I, I do not understand. These Pharisees, Bible teachers, pastors, basically, watch this man's physical hand go from broken to restored. And their response is not, wow, <laughs> if Jesus can heal this man, who else can be healed? What else can be healed? That's not the response. The response instead is to plot to kill Jesus because he healed on the wrong day. Had he healed on Tuesday, no problem, we're good. But because he healed on Saturday, they want to kill Jesus. What is that about? How do you watch someone's hand get healed and then be like, wrong day, man. How dare you? I'm coming for you. How does that happen? And that's what I find difficult about this text. But I I don't struggle with this text anymore because what's going on in this text here, I've seen countless times. And it's where I want to start in this year together. And so I want to ask two questions. Question one, why does does Jesus healing on the wrong day get him killed? And to answer that question, we need to understand what the Sabbath is. And there's lots of places we could go to understand the Sabbath. But I want to just go to one place because that's all we have time for, which is, is Deuteronomy 5. Verses 12 through 15. Here's a great concise summary of what the Sabbath is all about. This is God speaking through his servant Moses. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. Skipping down to verse 15. 
you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord of uh, the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Now we learn a few things about the Sabbath on in, in just these few verses, which is one: the Sabbath is a day when we we announce as human beings we are not slaves. Right? We, work, we do not work seven days a week. And anyone who tries to make you work seven days a week is claiming a status over you that is, is not true. As human beings, we have dignity, which means we are not slaves. We are not owned by anyone. And that seventh day is a day when we announce, I am not a slave to anyone or anything, but I set aside this day to worship my God because I am his son. I am his daughter. I am his child, not a slave. It's a day of restoration, a day of dignity, a day of value, a day of beauty. And listen, we, we can say a lot more about the Sabbath. That's just one glimpse of God saying, I, I saved you from slavery, and now I'm giving you a day to remember you're my child. You're not a slave. You have dignity and value and worth, so rest and play and enjoy my creation. So the Sabbath was important. So what would happen over time was in order to fulfill this do not work on the Sabbath uh, command from God, that the, the people of God began to add rules on top of that to make sure you didn't work on the Sabbath. And the Pharisees, the people Jesus who are encountering here in Mark 3, had created a lot of rules on top of the Sabbath to make sure you didn't work. And here's one of the craziest rules. Apparently, healing was considered work on the Sabbath. So if you were a healer, you were not allowed to heal on the Sabbath because then you would be working. And healing, uh, and, and there's no work on the Sabbath. Therefore, there should be no healing on the Sabbath. Well, Jesus is a healer. Everyone knows this in Mark 3. And so the Pharisees want to know, Jesus, are you going to keep the Sabbath or not. And Jesus responds with a question and he asks them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? Now, this is a brilliant question for two reasons. One, Jesus knows actually on the Sabbath, what they're doing is plotting to kill and harm him, right? So Jesus is like, Hey, you Sabbath police, you want to harm, you're like plotting to harm me today. That's not exactly in keeping with the Sabbath either, is it? But more importantly, Jesus, listen, if, if you were listening to what I just read in Deuteronomy 5, which listen, if you weren't paying attention to when I was reading Deuteronomy 5, that's totally okay. I mean, this is, this is weird, right? What we're doing right now is very strange. So if you checked out because like a hostage video preacher is thing is not what you're into, that's okay. But let me tell you, if you were paying attention to Deuteronomy 5, the Jesus question is obvious that the Sabbath is to save life. God saved Israel out of slavery from Egypt into a new reality in Israel. The Sabbath is a day of salvation, a day of restoration, a day of healing. It's, it's humanity. So if, listen, it's not just that Jesus should wait till Tuesday to heal. Like this is the best day to do a healing. And he insists on that. But the Pharisees, of course, the moment Jesus heals, they're, 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 not, they're not in awe. They watch this man's hand get, get healed, and they don't start thinking, well, who, who do I know that's sick? Who should I bring to Jesus? Who should, what else can he heal? Instead of that, we read, the Pharisees went out immediately, held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy 
Jesus. How does that happen? Well, a couple chapters later in Mark, Mark chapter 7, verse 13, another spat with the Pharisees, we get a really good summary of what's happening. Where, where Jesus says to the Pharisees, you cancel the word of God to preserve your own tradition. Now I have to give Renee Beauregard credit. She, she, she uh, turned my attention to that, that verse, but that's a really great summary of what's happening in Mark 3, is the Pharisees are more committed to their traditions, their agendas, their perceptions, their perspective, their power, than they are to the word of God, than they are to God himself. Which means their own tradition, their own agendas, have so clouded their vision of reality that when God is standing right in front of them, ready to heal, instead of falling to their knees in worship, they're ready to kill him. Canceling the word of God to preserve their traditions. Uh, when I was in seminary, I worked at Starbucks. And the Starbucks I worked at was right next to a train station on the Metro. And it was sort of weirdly placed, which meant there weren't actually, there were only two parking spots uh, that you could park in next to our building. And those were two coveted parking spots, because if you didn't get one of those two spots, you had to park a long way off and, and walk a long way into our building. Well, one day, busy rush hour part of the day, uh, someone drives in and she, she just takes out both parking spots. Parks like, you know, there's valet parking at Starbucks, which there was not valet parking at Starbucks. But she parked like there was. She gets out and just parks it in, takes up both spots, wipes them both out, um, and comes in and starts giving her order. Well, she's giving her order. A guy walks into the store, opens the door, and yells out for everyone to hear in the entire store, Who's the word I will not use? Who's the that took up all the parking spots? Now, the word I did not speak uh, that he said, I actually didn't know what the word was at the time. It was actually a very derogatory word for uh, Italian people. Um, and so, so this guy comes in to a Starbucks and just yells out an Italian expletive. Now I'm watching uh, the woman who had taken up both parking spots, giving her order, and I, as I watch her face respond to this man, um, I realize this is this is not going to go well. And so she she perks up, she turns around, and she starts yelling things at this guy. He starts yelling back. They start getting louder. They start getting closer. And the next thing I know, in the lobby of my Starbucks, there are two grown adults screaming at each other, their faces just inches apart from one another. Now, I don't know if you're aware of this, but Starbucks is for coffee. You go to start to get coffee, not to yell at people or to yell Italian expletives but somehow that was lost on these two people and so now suddenly you know i'm looking out my all my regular customers the whole store is disrupted as these people are working out whatever they're working out screaming at one another in starbucks it's starbucks is for coffee how many times have you walked into a church and there's just stuff happening agendas, things being spoken. And it's like, this, this place is for Jesus. What, what, are, what are we doing here? 
What's happening in this place? I told you at the beginning of this sermon or whatever we're calling this, that um, I used to find it really hard to believe that the, the Pharisees would, would want to kill Jesus because he healed on the wrong day. I don't find that difficult anymore because I've, I've watched people turn the house of God into a place for their own agenda, their own perspectives, their own desires, their own traditions, willing to cancel out God from that space. People come in and they, they want to make the church about a political partisan agenda, a cultural agenda, a personal agenda. Pers- their own personal preferences then become the gospel truth. And suddenly it's like, man, can we, this is, can we have Jesus? And what kills me about Mark 3 is that here's a, here's a man with a withered hand. And his God has, has taken on flesh to join this earth. And they have met and they're inches from one another. And rather than the, the Bible teachers, the pastors, the clergy saying, child, get your healing from your God. <laughs> Instead, they're ready to kill their God to protect their tradition. Question one, why does Jesus healing on the wrong day get him killed? Answer Because some of us in the house of God want our own traditions more than we want God. Question two. Will we then let Jesus disturb us? So that's the beauty of this passage is Jesus has come to disturb the tradition of the Pharisees and claim his people back. And that's what I want Jesus to do to us this year is to disturb us and to begin to ask ourselves, do I have traditions and preferences and desires that I am, I am privileging over Jesus? And here's the thing, none of us want to do that. And my guess is, is many of you thinking, yeah, other people need to do that. Well, no, here's the, here's the thing that makes Mark 3 so scary to me, is the people who are doing this are the people who read their Bibles most, they know their, their Bibles most, they're the most biblical ones, they're the most like us. And yet they're the ones who have most obscured the word of God. And, and so ha- it's worth reflecting and meditating and asking, are there things in my life that, that are so important to me. They're actually more important than people encountering Jesus. Because my burden, the thing I want more than anything else in the world is that whoever walks into Liberty Bible Church, whether they've been a member here for 95 years or whether they just walked in, it's their first Sunday. I want them to come in and, and to encounter the healing presence of Jesus. That's all I want. It's the only thing I care about as, as a pastor and what I know is I got my own things. I got my own agendas, my own preferences, my own traditions, my own desires that I am, I am likely to begin to put those things front and center. And those things can then begin to obscure the healing presence of Jesus because I make church about me and not about him.
So this year, Liberty Bible Church, I mean, I want two words. Just Jesus. I want every person to walk in to this place and to experience Jesus. And everything else we got to push aside. We're going to push aside so we can experience the healing presence of Jesus. So what is that like? What would it be like to experience the person of, of Jesus? And I think the best place where Jesus explains his own heart, his own desire, his own encounter with us is in Matthew chapter 11, verses 20 through 30, where, where Jesus says some really powerful words that, um, that have been important to me for a long time. Here's what he says. His heart towards us, he, he says, Come to me, all who are labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Sabbath. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. So when people walk into a church, they should find gentle, lowly-hearted, rest-filled people. I've been thinking a lot of that word, gentleness, lately. That Jesus is gentle. I've been thinking about that because we live in a, a very harsh culture. Some people refer to it as, as cancel culture, but it's just this idea that if you say the wrong thing or you get associated with the wrong person, well, you need to be silenced or you need to be pushed aside. You need to be tossed aside. And rather than listening to you or understanding you, if you say or do the wrong thing, you're out. It's a harsh culture, and I, I, my hope is we're, we're all getting tired of that. And I have some hope that we're getting uh, tired of that, because right now the, the number uh, one watched comedy um, TV series is Ted Lasso, which to be clear, it's not an endorsement of everything Ted Lasso related. But what, what's interesting about that show is it's a show amongst cynical, hard-hearted Brits uh, who are, you know, just, just kind of angry and, and, and going about life in, in, in pretty shallow ways. And Ted Lasso is just this presence of gentleness, kind of naive and kind, but he's gentle in the midst of a cynical culture. And my, my, I think one reason why that show has become so popular is because that is such an antidote to all of our experience through, through the rest of our week, which is we, we experience so much harshness and cynicism and anger and, 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 and vitriol towards one another that just finding a gentle person on TV who's kind it's like, yes. Well, church, if we are giving people an experience of Jesus through our Monday lives, wherever you're going to be to, uh, in, in, in your Monday to Friday life, or when they walk into our church on a Sunday morning, they should experience a community of gentle hearted people. Just Jesus. I want people to walk in and to experience Jesus. So how, how are we going to do that together? And I just want to encourage you in, in two ways. As you think about the year ahead, two rhythms to enter into. First, the best way to know and understand Jesus is to read this book. To have a daily rhythm of Bible reading. But to be clear, not to read your Bible for the goal of, of finishing it in a year or gaining more information. But because Jesus 
is every bit his heart towards you is just like his heart towards that man with a withered hand. He looks at you and says, I want to, I want you to experience my healing, my, my kindness. And that's why this book exists for you to encounter the person of Jesus through his words. So, so pick up your Bible, read, but second, we, we need you to be present in community, come to church, bring your gentleness to church and share it and give it to others because the the way many people are going to have an experience of Jesus in this life is is through the church that I mean just imagine imagine if there was just a group of people who would embody what Jesus is like to the rest of the world like let's say like a body of Christ almost to the world to embody who Jesus is to the world like that's who we are supposed to be and, and, and in order for you to experience that and to do that you need to be present here and I know some of you with COVID it's, it, it's not time yet that's okay that's okay but when you come come ready to share Jesus with those around you So that is my heart for this year ahead. But but I want to close. I want to close by saying that the, the reason why I want people to experience and, and I include you and me in in that experience the reality of Jesus is because that is what His desire is for every person. And what makes Mark beautiful is is there's two things happening in this in Mark three. One is that Jesus is coming and confronting religious people who have obscured God's presence and his word to the world, and he's disrupting them. And so in one sense, we need to allow him to disrupt us this, this, this year, to ask the questions of where are we putting our agendas, our preferences, our desires, and, and they're obscuring the person and work of Jesus. So we need to allow him to do that disruptive work. But the reason he does that disruptive work is not to shame us, it's not to, to be mad at us, it's to be angry with us, it's because he wants to heal wants to cut through all of that and get to people like you and me whose souls are withering, who need rest, who need his kindness, who need his gentleness. So the reason that we need to, to read the scriptures, engage this community, and, and experience the disruption of Jesus is because he wants to bring his healing presence to every person. And so... Um, That is my desire for this year, to let Jesus disrupt us, to let let our preferences, our desires, our passions, our our, um, hobby horses, let those fall away and be a church where, where anyone who walks in leaves with an experience of the healing presence of Jesus. Let me pray. Father, You want to heal. Your gospel is a healing gospel. And so each of us in our own way, God, we we need to experience your healing touch in our lives. And so, again, God, cutting across time through this, this strange recorded sermon, do your healing work by your spirit. That we, like this man with his withered hand, would know Jesus as the one who restored and saved. And may we hear Jesus asking the question, is the Sabbath to heal or to destroy, to save or to kill? And to know he means to heal and he means to save us. Make that true for us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to hand it off now to the campus pastors. 
Thank you. Happy New Year. Uh, and God bless. Hope to see you soon. All right, Chesterton Campus, what does everything I just said, uh, what does that have to do now with us in the worship center and in sacred ground for the year ahead? Um, well, let me begin by, by saying, first, one of the things I love about Liberty is it's its longevity in its history, over 90 years of faithful gospel ministry. And, and man, we are going to celebrate that. We are going to honor that history. We are um, grateful for that history because not a lot of churches make it past 90 years. That is an incredible thing to bear witness to. Um, so I'm grateful for that. But I do want to say, because some of you, you know, I took a while to make a decision about whether or not to come here. And, and one of the reasons why is a, is a lot of history, which I see as a very good thing, also creates a lot of complexity when it comes to ministry as well. And I really wrestled whether or not I was best equipped to be the person to come in and lead liberty into this next season. But th there was one moment where God really showed up, and I want to share that with you. See, one of the reasons why I wasn't sure about coming here is, you know, I, I just wasn't sure about being a larger church pastor. I'm... I'm a pastor at heart. I'm not a CEO. I'm not interested in, in leading a large organization. I, I want to be a pastor to a church. And so I was wrestling with that. And I spoke to someone who loves, loves liberty, knows liberty well. And he said to me, Tim, have you read the book Gentle and Lowly? And that's like, that is my book. That is my favorite book over the last several years. I quoted it in my candidating sermon. Some of you have already bought it because you know that I recommend it. I love that book. Um, but he said, have you read the book General Lilly? I'm like, yes, that book is amazing. He said, that is, that is the pastor that Liberty needs in this next season. A gentle and lowly shepherd who will love well and pastor with a gentle and lowly heart. And here's the thing. I had spent the last year reflecting on the fact that gentleness is a key characteristic of, of an elder pastor qualification in the New Testament. And how I wanted to embody the Jesus I read about in Gentle and Lowly in my pastoring. I was like, God could have, could not have made it clear, like, Tim, like, this guy is telling you this is the right next thing for you. This is what they need and this is who you want to be. And so it was, it was a moment where, where I, I sensed, okay, my, my, my wife would tell you, at the end of that phone call, it was clear, man. Like, we were, we were ready to say yes to, to liberty after that. So what does that mean? How do I embody that? Or how do I want to embody that in the year ahead? Um, and and I, have, I have two things on my mind as I think about the Chesterton campus specifically. First, I want to listen. Um, and, and some of you already, I, I have some of you, what's your opinion on this? What do you think about this? And it's like, I, listen, I, I want to listen. <laughs> That's what I want to do first. And so I really hope you'll come to the town halls uh, Sunday, January 16th at 6 p.m. in the worship center, Monday, January 17th at 6 p.m. at Sacred Ground. I want to hear from your hearts. I'm going to share a little bit from my heart, and then I want to I want to hear from you. What do I need to know? What's on your heart? What's on your mind? What are your What are your dreams? Your hopes for the future of Liberty Bible Church? Let's dream together, and I want to listen to your hearts on that. So please, please, please come to those events. But that's why I'm also excited about the long range planning team and, and Aspen and the listening sessions that are going to happen there, where we get to just dream together a little bit about where Liberty might be in the future. So that, that's my heart. I want to hear from you. And a lot of the next couple of months for me, it's just going to be listening to the hearts of people who have given so much of their time, talent, and treasure to this wonderful church. 
So that's one. I want to listen. But two, I, I am excited to shepherd this next season of faithful gospel ministry from Liberty Bible Church. That it, it is so rare for a church to last 90 years these days. And there's lots of reasons for that. But one reason why is, is, is you know, it, 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 faithful gospel ministry is going to look different in each generation, right? So how Liberty Bible Church looked in the 1930s is not how it looked in the 1960s. It's not how it looked in the 1980s. And it's not how it looked looks to today. Each um, decade, new realities become available to us. And so we get to dream together. Um, what will the next faithful gospel season of ministry look like for Liberty Bible Church? And I can't wait to do that with you. But here's the challenge of that. If there are 300 people watching this right now, there are probably 400 opinions about what liberty should look like in the next faithful gospel expression of ministry here, right? Some, some of y'all got one opinion. Some of y'all got three opinions, right? It's like we cannot solve and, and, and go with every passion that every person has in the life of our church. And to be clear, that means at times I need to lose. My agenda needs to lose. Um, and I've done that. To, example, um, one of my last... Uh, events at my, my previous church. Um, it was a night I cleaned out my desk with my good friends, cleaned out all the stuff at, at the church that, that I, um, that was mine. And uh, we just shared a, a, shared a long night together. And we ended the night, we were sitting in the worship center together. We've been together seven years. He was a faithful friend of mine. We met together regularly. We're sitting in the worship center. There's been some tears. We prayed together. And right before we, we left, I said to my friend, sitting in our, our sanctuary, I really don't like this room. <laughs> because I didn't. Um, because I wasn't the one who designed it. I handed that off to someone else because not every person got to pick the carpet or pick the color of the walls or pick the way the room was shaped. That at the end of the day, we need to trust one another that while every decision we make will not have universal agreement, we're committed to this being a place that shares Jesus with Northwest Indiana. So those are my promises to you to listen and to take seriously and steward responsibly my role of making sure that, that Liberty steps into this next season of faithful gospel ministry. But here's the thing. While that might seem like a lot of pressure or, um, or a daunting task, it's not to me. We're going to have fun doing this. We're going to laugh together doing this. We're going to enjoy doing this together. So I want to say thank you for your prayers. Thank you for putting up with this hostage video. I promise you I will come out of quarantine at some point um, to see you in person. I'm feeling fine. Um, I need to get my beard trimmed. I know that. Uh, that will happen soon. Uh, but I love you. I miss you. I'm sorry I can't be there with you in person. And may God bless. Thanks for being with us today. If you'd like more information on our church or a place to connect, you can check us out on the web at findliberty.net.